Hello, everyone. It's Deb from the Calling All Beings Podcast Network. This is Deb's Dad at Dojo. Today, I have two special co-hosts, Priscilla and DJ. Priscilla is the host of Quantum Witch Cafe and the UFO Book Club. She is part of the Anomalous Podcast Network. Yeah! Priscilla Network, baby! DJ is the host of Calling All Beings, retired U.S. Air Force, and a yoga instructor. He is part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, <laughs> Can today, I get an amen? <laughs> today we have a special <laughs> guest. Um, today we're speaking to Scott Guerin. Scott Guerin is retired from the United States Air Force, wherein he was a member of the U.S. Air Force Special Operations as a pararescue jumper. He is also an author, experiencer, and motivational speaker. He survived a 3,000-foot freefall during a para-jumping accident in 1987. In 2020, he published a book, Hiding in Plain Sight, about his UAP sighting and photographs. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, give it up for Scott Gearing, baby. <laughs> He's a lot. His I'm parachute to forgot here. to open, That's and his crazy. brother's still here. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. Everyone's yes. inviting me. Everyone's so excited. Absolutely. So, so, Scott, I would love to start this conversation with you um, being able to talk a little bit about your background and how you came into having an interest in UFOs. All right. All right. Uh, kind of a really wide range from there background and interest in UFOs. So, you know, my, my adult background was. Uh, joining the Air Force and being a pararescueman and traveling around uh, pretty much the world and being stationed in England and Italy and North Carolina and New Mexico. Hurlburt Field, Florida, who you uh, hey! North Carolina. And uh, I was medically retired and I went into some uh, contracting overseas to diplomatic security out of uh, Baghdad, Iraq. And I came back and actually I started uh, working for another company called Homeland Security. And I uh, inspect uh, chemical facilities with chemicals of interest and ensure that they are uh, providing the proper security measures on them to prevent them from being stolen. Um, as a youth, um, I think I, I grew up a pretty normal kid. Uh, it wasn't like I had an outward uh, interest in UFOs. You know, you grow up uh, back then and the shows on TV, you know, My Favorite Martian. Well, it was just common, My Favorite Martian. I don't know if you guys probably don't remember mm -hmm. that show or not. I do. Well, you know, it's like, yeah, hey, I, I was like, man, there's, that's it's normal, right? Dude? My Favorite Martian, everybody's going to have have one. It's like an uncle. And uh, But as far as an interest in uh, UFOs, uh, I'd say it probably maybe some of the paranormal kind of started off, you know, I don't, since I got into uh, the Twitter and the UFO community, and a lot of different things I hear in the paranormal with dreams and uh, it's one dream I think recently hearing about men with hats. Um, oddly enough, uh, 
I can remember a dream at six years old that, you know, scared the pants off of me. And it, it had to do with uh, a man with a hat that was walking down the hallway at night while I was sleeping to take me away, <laughs> which is, you know, just a dream that I had and still remember. That's another story probably to go into. Uh, but as far as UFOs, uh, I didn't know it was a UFO at the time, but probably about eight, nine years old. Uh, it was in the evening. It was dark already. We're out in the middle of the street between the houses with other kids in the neighborhood. And suddenly one of the kids, I don't remember which one it was, is pointing up in the sky and saying, look at that. Everybody looks up at the sky and we see this giant green donut. And we all knew right then it was War of the Worlds and we were all going to die. So everybody screamed and and ran into their respective homes. Um, a little while later, and everybody's trying to find out, what is it, what is it? And there were a lot of reports, a lot of people. This was in Tampa, Florida, and probably about 1966-ish. And there was reports that came out that it was a, something to do from MacDill Air Force Base, and that was the end of the story. But I, I've seen those things. I think the History Channel even had something out not too long ago about somebody that had filmed a giant green donut in the sky. Um, so I would say that was uh, probably the first event, looking back on it now to say how things had, um, um, probably first and second with the dream and then with the, the giant green donut. Um, the third event, which wasn't, really so much of an event other than being there with an event that was happening and that was being in the air force i was stationed at raf woodbridge when you know the ufos landed in rendlesham forest and at least two consecutive nights and we know other people that have stories uh high strangeness uh, that have seen them uh seen other things there at woodbridge uh so i got there in uh, february of 80 so I was there right through, you know, um, December of 80 when that event happened and then left uh, about May of 83. So, I mean, that was the talk. Everybody on the base, did you see the UFO? Did you see the UFO? And some people said they did, but I didn't see anything. But what's kind of unique about it is the way the base was laid out, our unit was all the way towards the end of the flight line next to the fence that separated us from Rendlesham Forest. And it was also our drop zone over there where we were doing our parachuting and nighttime operations out there and everything. And we would always be in the running jumpers that we were, jump over the fence and do laps through the forest there where the incident happened. And I can, in, the, in our nighttime operations that we do out there, there's no way being in that forest you can see that UFO, which is, uh, you know, I mean, some people have speculated that, oh, they saw the, or not, I said UFO, or the lighthouse is what I meant. They didn't see the, the lights from the lighthouse there in the middle of the forest. Um, it's I so just, interesting because uh, I, I actually, just, oh, I, there's a bit of an echo, but I just spoke to Lori Rayholt about Bent Waters recently. Hey, hold on a sec. Ace. Scott, do you have uh, do you have earbuds? 
I can probably find them. Um, that might help. Otherwise, you might have to go to mute because every time we talk, it's going to come out your speakers and back into the microphone. It's up to you either way. Okay. Well, All right. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to just uh, tell, explain about Scott's background just a little bit for the audience. So uh, pararescue jumpers and combat controllers um in the air force and now they have special reconnaissance as well these are the elite of the elite so thinking navy seals if you're in the marine corps you're thinking uh marine raiders or force recon uh you're thinking uh uh green green berets or there's another sort of army direct action unit uh scott uh was among those types of operators uh the air force has a couple different career fields that can run with guys at that level. And Scott was one of those. So, uh, it's a very small group. Hi, Scott. Testing. Hi. Can you hear me still? Yes. Loud. yes. I got you five by five, brother. I was just telling them about, uh, basically, uh, PJ CCT and how that relates to the other, uh, the other forces, uh, like, uh, you know, seals, uh, green Berets, Rangers, uh, direct action units, etc. But anyway, we're back at Rendlesham Forest, and damn it, the UFO hid from you guys. I never saw it out there, and, and we used to do our, you know, our runs out there in the forest, and we'd train at night doing movements, land navigation movements and things like that, and I never saw a lighthouse uh, through the forest. Now, we would parachute into the North Sea, and where we would get picked up by the boats and and pull the boats out of the water was near the lighthouse. We could see it when we were out, you know, along the coastline. But when we were in the woods, we didn't see it. Well, what I, just, I was going to yeah. what I was going to ask about that is having spoke to Lori Breffel about her experience in Bent Waters is if you've ever felt like kind of a strange feeling or had any other maybe non UFO related experiences while you were out there. Um, not that I would relate them to something, you know, uh, as a UFO. It, it always kind of was sometimes maybe a little bit eerie, you know, running through the woods and you, and you would think, you know, something's looking and you would look over and there would be a deer looking or something like that. But you know, just not that that was eerie to see the deer. It's just, oh, something's looking at me. Oh, there's a deer. But I never felt anything um, strange to, in that sense that it was a UFOs or anything. I never yeah. saw them there. Deb, do you think that's a hot spot? Like, do you, yes. do, are you, are you prone to thinking certain yes. spots? Remember, uh, DJ and I just spoke about this yesterday. Some areas that are hot spots also seem to have a coalition, Something to do with nuclear, and Bent Waters did. So I just feel like that could be um, an interesting coincidence, you know, that's attracting something. Um, and she said that that area was sort of not necessarily all paranormal, but people started acting strange there. People did some really er erratic things while they were out there. Um, like people were just shooting guns off in the middle of practice when they weren't supposed to be, of course, and things like that. She said that, oh, that area was, Scott. was, was weird, a little off. <laughs> the, um, 
on the airfield, the our operations building was uh, supposedly a morgue. It was a crash base, so the planes from uh, during World War II they would so, you know two mile long runway and and really wide, so the planes that were shot up could just get back and crash. And so one of the things that was people I never smelled it, but they would talk about smelling formaldehyde in that building in the middle of the night when they were doing, you know, their by themselves or, you know, for the overnight shifts that they were doing there. Um, now we did shoot a lot of guns, but that was, I thought that was normal. Hey, hey, Deb, I have a question for Scott, and then I want to ask you and Priscilla the same question. Okay. So, um, Scott, over in England, it, it's pretty famous that there are some seriously haunted houses over there, right? So what I'm asking you, if there is yes. a, a house that was purported to be very haunted and scary, would you and a group of your most fam- your most trusted PJs go and stay in such a house? And then I'm going to ask Priscilla and Deb, but please go ahead. <laughs> Are you scared of haunted I, houses? I think, I think being over there and living off base, we all lived at them. <laughs> so you're like, how? So you're like, give me a twelve pack a of beer. Okay. That's what I'm saying about gunpowder. Happened in their houses. All right. That's what I'm yeah, saying about was, that area. Was... There was something weird in that area, apparently. Maybe. I, yeah, maybe. I, all right. Now, you and Priscilla, tell me your thoughts, Deb, Priscilla. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm all on it. Priscilla. I think you know. Yes, yes. That's one of the things I, I want to do more of. We can't um, scare you guys. I, no, I really, like, I want to get into paranormal investigating. I just don't know anybody out here in Kentucky, which is a shame because there's so many good places out here. And I'm like, am I going to be, like, a solo person trying to do this? Well, but Scott, let's tell Scott the good news. Uh, Priscilla <laughs> and her husband are PCSing to Baltimore. Deb lives in Baltimore, and I <laughs> suspect that they are going to engage in a paranormal investigation uh, together, among other craziness they're about to get up to. But we don't, you know. I just so, want to yeah, say yeah. we there is an area in a nearby locale where supposedly there's multiple haunted spots that I will yes. be showing you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I get out there on occasion with uh, for relatives that are in that area. So if you're if you're doing it, I'll, Ooh, I'll yeah. oh, you guys can have Sakella Scott along for security. <laughs> right, that'd be awesome. Ghosts aren't gonna mess with him. He fell out of a plane and is still here. So and Actually, I'm here to tell the Blair Witch. The Blair Witch is gonna be scared of Priscilla. That's all I got to say. And, and you know what? Let's address that now that Priscilla has mentioned that again. That's kind of an amazing aspect of your life that you fell 3,000 feet with a damaged parachute, had your skull cracked by the person who fell through and damaged the parachute, landed at 100 miles per hour, and survived. So that in itself is amazing. And you and I have spoken a little bit about near-death experiences. Was that when you had that near-death experience? Yeah, you know, I think being in in our jobs and in the military, we have a lot of near-death experiences and don't ever know how close we were to them. But as far as the the definition of a near-death experience, yes, that was uh, when it happened. Um, I, I was stationed at North Carolina at the time. I was in Virginia. I was uh, temporary duty 
up with the SEAL team. We were doing a free fall. We jumped out. It was a beautiful day. It was, it was a, we called it a fun jump. We didn't have, you know, a hundred pounds of gear on and things like that. It was cold. It was mid February. Uh, we free fell, we jumped out at uh, 13,000 feet. The plan was to free fall to 3,500 feet, look at our altimeters to know what altitude we were, and then deploy our canopy, which I did at that altitude. And my parachute opened. Unfortunately, another jumper was still in the air above me. I realized he couldn't avoid hitting me, balled up in a cannonball type position, came through the canopy, knocked me unconscious, shattered my skull. And like you said, the parachute was damaged. So a streamer didn't. Uh, about 3,000 feet, hit the ground about 100 miles an hour, and uh, uh, extensively injured. Uh, total about 15 surgeries, 18 months recovery, and and I was able to get back on status and start jumping again. Had about 500 more jumps after that. It's um, amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that you did. So, by the way, it's yeah, just amazing. It's, I yeah. Right. That's- but I, I would be fearless. Like, You're fearless. That's I insane. would be like, I'm good. I'm done. No, You're good. No. <laughs> I mean, the, the, right. you're talking to a guy who went to a school where they basically chain your hands up and put you in the pool. Right, right. Scott? I mean, with this, the conditioning in the pool. I guess the worst has happened, right? Your shoe yes. didn't open and you fell. Yes. So <laughs> what's going to happen after that? Yeah. I did see on the Discovery Channel, you said... That I'm gonna jump last, though, so. and that was good call. Good call. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ain't yeah. none of y'all coming I, through my chute. Yeah, that's <laughs> again. Right. Yeah, my, my first jump afterwards, I was pretty scared, and I said, "Look, I just want to be the last one out of the airplane." And I'll, you know, was, uh, <laughs> probably two seconds after everybody else jumped, I jumped, so I had a lot of my own airspace to to fly in. But with that question in the near-death experience, I and people ask me about it, and I describe it that I had, I have two memories, sort of a conscious memory and an unconscious memory. So the the day of the jump, I remember driving to the drop zone. It was a civilian drop zone. It wasn't military. We drove uh, to a local uh, civilian drop zone, and I remember stopping, getting coffee, donuts. Uh, chocolate milk, all that kind of stuff that we normally get for breakfast. And getting to the airfield, uh, getting geared up, talking about our plan, uh, getting on the helicopter with a Marine uh, CH-46. And, uh, and I remember being in the air, looking out of the window. And that was my conscious memory. And then my next conscious memory is several days later, in ICU when I was coming to. But in that time period, there was a uh, the unconscious memory. And that was that I, I knew that I was injured. I knew that I was leaving my body. I could see my body. It was crumpled, damaged, injured. Uh, the two seals were there. Dave and Bobby, you know, figuring out how to take care of me. But I, I didn't feel any pain. It was like just total, I was separating from them. And I was, it was, the, it was a, a very, very peaceful feeling. 
and I was I was surrounded. You all hear the story about people see the white light. Well, for me, it was the two lights. So I was embraced completely, 360 degrees by a, a soft, embracing light. It was, I'll describe it later, to feel it's, it was love. I was just embraced with love, it was energy. And then over my shoulder, because I still hadn't made that separation of my body and my consciousness. So I felt like I was looking over my shoulder and it was a very, very bright area. And in that bright area were three figures and I couldn't see who it was, but I could see the light behind them was so bright. I could see three figures and we were communicating telepathically that I knew they were there for me and I was going to them. So I was traveling, it was just, it was not walking, not running. Although I still kind of feel like I was in my body. I wasn't in my body, but I was, I was just moving along. And, and it just it was the most peaceful, loving feeling. And what I got out of that was that we are all connected. We are, we are energy and all that was love. And I got almost to, the, to that light where we were meeting. And I was thinking, I'm going to see who is here to meet me. And then I heard a voice very distinctly. It's clear to me right now as it was when it happened, said, it's time to go now. And I had a gazillion thoughts about what I needed to do, want to do, was going to do. And I, I turned my face away from the bright light at the same time saying, God, I'm not ready to go yet. And then that was the last thing I had of that memory. And then I was waking up in, in the ICU thinking I was blind and broken neck but so that was that's my two memories of it and i i remember it as clear today as in that part of it as i do when it happened priscilla i have a (laughs) sorry girlfriend um i have a few questions regarding that experience because i had a similar experience um not a lot of i don't talk about it a lot Um, I had a very hard time in my life and I took too much of a specific mushroom that is very poisonous and uh, I got really sick and had an out-of-body experience and I joke around. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know if I actually died or not kind of thing, but um, it was the same thing with the light Um, like that loving, like you're saying that and I was like getting tears because I I know what you're talking about and then the three beings, um, I had had similar visits with three beings. And I used to call them angels, but they didn't have wings. They didn't. They were like a form, but glow. They were like a light form, um, and that connectedness and that love was just, you know. I just wanted to point out the Bible does not describe angels having wings. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. And you know, we're taught that by default. But um, yeah. So the similarities between the beings and the light um, not really resonates with me, but. Did that trigger, after that experience, did that trigger any of your other, um, what we would call like uh, spiritual gifts, like your your ability to lucid dream or um, sense other beings around you after you were back, you know, um, in the hospital or after you were done um, recovering? Um, as far as lucid dreams, I... I always dreamed a lot, 
and I, I still do have a lot of dreams. Uh, some of them are more vivid than others. Some of them are hard to remember. Some of them are very clear. Um, as far as sensing things, I, I guess I, it's, it's just, just being more aware of the connection that I have to everything, whether it's, you know, although I don't like mosquitoes and I'm going to swat them, you know, I mean, other things, the birds, the bees, the trees, mountains, you know, it's like being connected to them. You just, there's an affinity. Somehow. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I feel like it's a web. Like everything is a little node on that web. And all the nodes are yep. little balls of energy. That's so funny. I, I've I've had the same vision before um, with the web, but it's energy. And every time we come into contact with somebody, um, it's almost like, you know, like spider webs are real stretchy and thin. It's like that. Like I could bump into you in the supermarket or we could just get too close and it's building this like energetic system between people and beings, even mosquitoes, which they love me and I hate them. But, you know, <laughs> um, no, I have like people will comment like, oh, man, look at all your mosquitoes. Like when we're hiking. <laughs> like, so, I, but but, yes, I feel that. <laughs> we're going to find out on this Bigfoot hike. We're going to see. Oh, my God. No, you don't. I'm like a mosquito. Like they will come to me, not you. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Uh, you know, because the ball, <laughs> they come my head. I have to wear a hat. Um, Scott, are you a different person after that? Um, from that standpoint, did you see the world as it? You just talked about your connection with all these living things. Um, would that have happened anyway without this accident? I don't think to the same extent. You know, and as you get older, you're you change your views on things as well. So I was kind of probably a, a naughty kid growing up with things, but you know, your views change and you're more accepting of everything around you generally. And, but I, I just think the, it's just more of appreciation, a deeper appreciation for everything every day. You know, I had a friend of mine that when we would go through the, the dining halls and, you know, and every day, he would get cake and he'd say, every day is my birthday. And he would eat cake every day. And later he was killed, you know, and it, it came back to me that, and every day is my birthday. It's a gift and every day is my birthday. So I don't feel guilty about eating cake anytime. Uh, you don't look like you're eating a lot of cake from what we can see. So, I mean, just because still got the pararescue physique, apparently. I just so. have to comment if we want to get really weird with it some people who are talking about time lately are saying every day really literally is the same day so every day literally is your birthday right <laughs> so, right which is weird i, well, I, I like it on it <laughs> i like the movie groundhog day <laughs> oh my goodness yeah i'm so happy to hear somebody talk about that besides me that's what i say all the time to my uh -huh. husband i'm a stay-at-home mom so i'm like it's groundhog day it feels like Groundhog Day because he's in the army, so he goes to train. I feel like it's the same thing over and over, but it doesn't have to be like a bad same thing is what you're saying. It should be like a it should be your Groundhog Day, but your birthday or the best day of your life, you know? Um, yeah, there's so many people that die of all these things. And, you know, even in his training, you know, people die. You know, nobody dies going through my the schools I went through. But they do the schools that he went through. 
And so any day could be your last day. So it's like every day is kind of a gift. So if there's nothing like really horrific happening in your life, which would uh, sort of uh, dominate your thought process, uh, if, if that is happening, you're having a crisis. But other than those days, every day is kind of a reason, you know, to celebrate having friends, having, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Okay, sorry, guys. Continue. Sorry, I just, <laughs> I just got really sad. Thanks, guys. I'm sad now, but okay. No, there's happy so birthday. there's so much love here. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday to all of you. I just want to say happy today is the same day all over again, and so happy birthday. Okay, so anywho, on a happier note, um, <laughs> so let's jump to UFOs. Um, I you had this experience. It was a significant life altering experience, possibly making you more receptive to this universal uh almost virtual cloud or i don't know maybe virtual is not the right word energy cloud that exists right and then um you had some kind of messaging that we talked about that um if, if i understand correctly kind of let you know to go pay attention and can you go through what happened with the the uap experience I can, um, and we can we get to that part in a minute because they're in between the um, accident and that UAP sighting. There was another very significant event that I mentioned Absolutely. with the beam of, with the beam of light. Go so, for it, Scott. So. so <laughs> You know, I, I, it wasn't like I was thinking UFOs, UFOs, UFOs. It's just like, boom, this happened. And okay, okay, something happened, boom. And later on, boom, this happened. So after the accident and the recovery, and, and that was a tough time. I When I came out of the hospital, I was scared because I'd been in there. They'd been taking care of me for months. So it was, I was re, I had to rebuild my my confidence totally. And, and uh, But, I, but I, I did and got back on the teams and, and, and finished out um, a, a great career. I loved it, and I would do it again in a heartbeat if I could. Um, so then it came around in uh, 2002 and had just an accumulation of things and injuries, and the flight surgeons at Hurlburt said, you're done. You've had enough fun and you're going to be medically retired. So I did that. And then I was married at the time. My ex-wife was from Minnesota. And so I capitulated and moved to Minnesota. Everybody does dumb things sometimes for love. But uh, moved to Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so during that time period, that was in 2003, we moved up here. Her family had a cabin up in northern Wisconsin and a house that had a lot of property up there. And we were, I was up there with her father and her uncles and her brother and, and myself. We'd gone up there, I guess kind of a guy's trip. They were bonding. We we're getting things ready for the season coming up. And now this is a very remote area of northern Wisconsin, Chemagan. Uh, national forest over a million and a half acres of forest you look at it on the map and it's it's huge that where we were there was probably no one around us for 20 30 square miles wow 
And so, so we were there, you know, getting things together for them. And, and uh, then that there was one of the nights that we were there. Um, it was in the evening, but it was dark. And uh, I mean, up there, it's as dark as anywhere you've been practically, you know, with no other light sources around. So we were sitting around a, a campfire. Yeah, you know, and I'm thinking about well, that must have been the only real light source, heat source in that whole area where we were. And uh, they were sitting out there. I wasn't drinking, had nothing to drink. Um, they they were having a few beers. We were sitting around just talking, and suddenly I I, I felt like I was I was paralyzed. Uh, my mind was thinking, but I couldn't move. I couldn't see what was around me. You know, everything was bright. It was, but it was blurry and out of focus. So it's like I felt uh, totally immobilized, kind of mentally confused. You know, like the area between sleep and awake. And you know, you have to wake up, but you can't. You're trying to wake up, and and you can't. You know, I felt like I was in a mental struggle to regain control of, of my awareness. Then suddenly. I was, I, I came out of it. I was able to see and, and move. And I realized that I was engulfed and a, a beam of light was shining down on us. Um, and I'm trying to think what the heck is going on? Where is this beam of light coming from? And uh, my mind started thinking, well, I've been under light sources before from, you know, <laughs> AC 130s, uh, <laughs> helicopters, uh, you know, things that are shining lights down. But I'm thinking, this this is surreal. I, there should be noise. There was no noise. There should be there should be wind, and there was there was no wind and nothing. There was nothing moving. And I looked at my friends to see, you know, if they were seeing what I was seeing, and they they looked like they were frozen. They weren't moving. They weren't talking. They were just standing there, and. Uh, then I looked up uh, to see where the light was coming from, and I could tell it went up to a point about 500 to 1,000 feet above me, and, it, and it's, it just stopped right there. And then the beam started to move, drift across the ground. And then while I was still in, in that beam of light, it just clicked off. And you know, then you're thrown back into the dark, darkness, and I'm still, it's like, what's going on? What, what is this? I don't hear anything. I can see the outline of a shape that's dark against the sky, but, and it just, it just moved away. And it was like, it was there for two seconds and then it was gone. And, uh, you know, I felt weird. I didn't understand what it was. I tried to look online. I didn't know about MUFON or any of that stuff at the time. I don't know what they could have done, but maybe I would have reported it, but just trying to Google anybody see anything, you know, in northern Wisconsin and and uh, nothing nothing came up, but it was just a real unsettling feeling like I had been in something, but I didn't know what it was. And, you know, I kind of got used to that. You know, it happened. I don't know what it is. And went on. And hey, Scott, in terms of being frozen, that's kind of like how people would describe me playing goalkeeper. You know, I'm there, like, it looks like I'm supposed to reach and stop a goal, and it, it just looks like I'm frozen in place. Probably, like, a lot like your cohorts at the hunting camp. Um, but... <laughs>
Come on, Deb. This is I the was, best I got tonight, man. It's all I got. I really right. thought you were going to mention. I really thought you were going to mention Terry Lovelace. I really did because you oh, love yeah. Terry well, Lovelace. Well, well, I told Scott about Priscilla. So the other night, I'm in the yeah. forest, and we were, you know, we were having a chat on the phone. And when he told me about this experience at at the camp, the first person I thought was Priscilla, my homegirl. Yeah. So um, I leave you, Scott, as I go to. Uh, read the rest of this uh, contract <laughs> stuff, which is going to be so exciting. I don't know if I could accurately, accurately describe it, but I'm leaving <laughs> you in the hands of two brilliant analysts and intellects in this <laughs> field. Uh, far, far, far more so than I. Um, we'll talk again, uh, Scott, and uh, thank you for just... I mean, this is part one. You realize that, right? <laughs> This oh, is I part one, have, baby. I already figured out I'm okay. going to ask him to come back yeah. when, when <laughs> I talk. To, I think it'd be really cool if he came back when we talked to Lori, just an FYI. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, uh, reunion. What's up, man? <laughs> Rendlesham Forest, Holmes. So, <laughs> Scott, man, thank you so much. Uh, we'll talk oh, again okay. offline. And, uh, Hi, Priscilla, DJ, thanks. Thank you, sir. It's an honor. And, uh, and Deb, you know, hair looks great. So, I'll see you. Uh, <laughs> I do that. You could probably I, cut some. You could probably cut some and make it a little. Thank you. Make it something. Wig. So I, I told him. I told him. Yeah. Fast, and I can. I can get. She can get like away. a little Johnny Depp swoop. I know. I, I don't it know. grows very fast. <laughs> the like, best Christmas if... present you could give me. <laughs> Honestly, I think it, DJ. When you met me, I'm pretty sure it was there. Yeah. So. I mean. Oh, that's that's all yours, man. Like we can that's even do yours. a part in the middle, half you and half Priscilla. But anyway, oh, yeah, all right. Mine's chemical treated. You don't want <laughs> Scott, it. Scott, be careful. <laughs> Just be careful with these two, please. Be careful, okay? All right. All right. Love I you know guys. you're leaving me in good hands. <laughs> yes. They're they're yeah, amazing. Man. They're amazing. They're Talk so intelligent. <laughs> Bye, guys. Right. Bye. So, Priscilla, did you want to share about um, your experience? Because mm. I think it's important that people know that there's commonalities. I, I can't yeah. speak to Terry Lovelace. I don't know his case that well, which is why I was right. hoping DJ would talk about that. But it was very similar for him. Yeah. He was in a camping situation. He was paralyzed. Other people were not. Okay. So right, I'll, let right. you, I'll let you go, Priscilla, with yours. Yeah. So um, this, the reason I'm here is because, you know, um, we were talking about that sort of situation and DJ had mentioned that he, you guys were having uh, Scott come on to talk about his experience. And he just said, oh, you know, it's similar to something you told me. Um, mine happened in my room <laughs> and I had just got done doing a show that night and I could look up the date. Um, it was the first time I had Geraldine on and um, this isn't my first experience, but this is my first experience like this. I woke up to um, a light and the neighbors behind us kind of have like those floodlights that turn on. So initially I'm not thinking of anything. And then I was like, well, it's kind of bright. So I sit up, but as I sit up, I'm stuck, I'm paralyzed. And um, I, I can look over kind of at my husband and I'm like in my mind trying to wake him up, but I can't yell or anything like that. And he's not waking up and I see a being on the side of me. And then I just get this like sick feeling and I just like go to sleep. Um, I wake oh. up the next day really sick, like really sick. Like I had the flu, um, like I had um, done like a full body workout um, and just in a lot of pain and, and nauseous. Like I felt hungover 
and that I worked out or ran a mare, did like a crazy hike or something. Um, so that was the first time that happened. And I kind of dismissed it because that was not like, I didn't know what to think of it at the time. And what am I supposed to tell my husband? Like, Hey man, like I had sleep paralysis and you wouldn't wake up. <laughs> so I asked, um, I did a meditation. I asked like, Hey, whoever did this, what happened? Because I have had repeated experiences. So I try to, it's kind of stupid to think if I'm afraid of them or if they're doing this to do it, but I reach out to the universe and I say, what happened? Um, with that, and they had took me into like a lucid dreaming state and showed me everybody in the neighborhood, like the kids playing, my husband mowing the lawn and this, this craft coming. And I was the only one that could see it. And I was the only one that could move. So um, they were showing me how they kind of stop time for some people, but not you. Um, and that's, you know, I've had um, a lot of sleep paralysis events like that. Uh, the other time uh, I had woken up outside, well, not last year, but the year before that. So last year, yeah, it was last year. And I tried to like wake up my husband who's sleeping inside and the dog and nobody moved. And I'm like knocking, the dog didn't move. He didn't move. He fell asleep on the couch the night before. And I thought it was like because he drank something or had drank too much. But um, the dog is what weirded me out. She wouldn't wake up either. So, um, yeah, the yeah. whole freezing of the world around you thing is very scary. It, it was very, it was scary. It was weird. And just didn't understand it. Couldn't make any sense of it. No, I, and what do you tell the people mind. around you, right? Like, hey, you were frozen I, and I wasn't, you know, like. Yeah, I asked him, I said, did you, when, when we, after the light had left, I said, did, did you see that? And none of them were aware of what I was aware of. I was like, well, what do I tell them? Yeah, well, you were frozen. Unfortunately, that seems to be the case beyond just the sleep paralysis, um, but just even just looking at a UAP, some people seem to see it and some people do not. So I don't know what that's about. I have uh, guesses and speculations, of course, that it has something to do with perception and just in general. But literally, I see videos that people send me and some of them I don't see what they're trying to show me and some of them I do. Like, I don't understand what that's about. Like, I, I, I've I seen videos where I'm literally like, there's nothing in this video. Why are they showing me this video? <laughs> like, oh, I don't. Yeah. But then, I don't know, maybe maybe there really was nothing in those videos. But others, like, it's pretty clear. <laughs> you well, know, what about, so like, when radar, people monitoring radar see these blips and nobody else sees it, but they see it on the radar or vice versa. If they see it out there, they don't see it on the radar. It's, right. it's really strange how... Um, they kind of hack our reality in a way right and and Lori, she had a similar experience with time you know and then there's lost time you know people have this experience with lost time and then there's these episodes where they have an encounter and it's like everything is quiet and so there's only questions when it comes to these things oh scott disappeared hopefully we he'll be back him. yeah, yeah. Hopefully he'll be back shortly. But yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of questions that we don't have answers to right. ju just yet. So I had a question about um, something that happened to me as a kid. And I don't know who to ask about this. I mean, when I was a kid, I was 
sleepwalking. And there were a couple times when I would wake up and I couldn't lift my head up. And because when I lifted my head up, it hurt really, really badly. Like I would get a sudden, really intense headache and I'd have to put my head back down. I have no idea what that was. Did you have any other um, strange dreams that night when that happened? Or did I you don't... have any other sensations like um, some people that astral travel in their sleep will feel um, like themselves? It's almost like sleep paralysis, but they feel themselves coming into their body and waking up, but they know what's happening. Or they'll feel like an earthquake type situation, but they're the only one that feels it. I mean, I felt those before, like the, like everything kind of moving feeling. Almost um, like somebody dropped you on the bed is what it kind of feels like what it, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I felt, I felt that kind of everything just suddenly moved or everything was spinning feeling that you get when you're in between sleep and awake. But the, the, during those incidences, I did not. During those incidents, mm -hmm. I could not. Like, if I tried to lift my head off the bed, I would get an intense headache and have to put my head down. And there was nothing else weird. Nothing, no beings, no lights, nothing. It was just something that happened a few times when I was a kid. All the other things were weird. But, <laughs> like, I would have intense flying dreams. I would have uh, sleepwalking incidents, things like that. But the, the thing I'm talking about in particular, I just have never heard anyone describe that where when they try to lift their head up, they would get a really bad headache and have to put their head down until, and like the whole world would spin. So. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've any, ever met anybody with that. I've, I've heard of people um, having encounters where they'll see a craft in the sky and they get like this uh, head pressure that makes them almost like pass out and they get dizzy and like a, like a, I don't know if any of you guys get migraines, but it's like a burst of like a headache and then they have to lay down and they'll, it'll be like after they see a craft or right before they see a craft and then they'll go look outside or they'll go outside and they'll see something. Yeah. I was talking to Scott earlier about, and I think I've told you about this before Priscilla, that when I saw a craft, I was just like, eh, yeah, some people are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, unless <laughs> unless it's like a straight up like contact experience, you're having telepathic communication, you have some sort of paralysis, get hit by a beam, you know, all the I think that sometimes people see lights and they're like I want it to be that, but on the other hand, I don't know. So there's that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've seen an, an orb, but I'm, I saw a craft. Like, it was not yeah. it was not an orb. It was uh, not a light. It was an object in the sky that was sitting in the sky, not moving, that was not an airplane, a helicopter, or blimp. It was not uh, anything that I could recognize. Come and on. I was just like, I should probably stop and take a picture, but I'm busy because I'm working, so eh, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. you're like ufo and just keep walking <laughs> yeah i'm like yeah and it, i honestly would probably do that again now like i have a very different reaction to these than other people i'm just like this is part of nature to me this is normal right. to me so well and, you know it's there so right okay scott welcome back i we didn't get to say it because you um uh, came in while we kept going on paralysis but welcome back and um i wanted you to get to chime in more about your paralysis experience and what priscilla said 
not sure what more to say about it. I mean, that was, I haven't had that since then. I, I mean, I, sometimes I get headaches. It's uh, the pressure. Sometimes like you say, there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's like atmospheric pressure change and it's like, boom, it's sudden and there's a headache. Uh, that happens sometimes. I wouldn't say that it was something because I saw something. I don't know if I saw it, but definitely feel it when it happens. Um, just that you're talking about that paralyzed feeling. You know, you see patients that are, you know, get uh, paralytic drugs to be innovated or whatever. And uh, some and sometimes there's there's medications they can paralyze you. And everything's paralyzed, but your brain, you know what's going on, but you can't move or talk. And that that's what it was like. That's really frightening, I imagine, to go through. I can't imagine anyone would enjoy that experience. And I think that's one of the drawbacks about all of this. We love this mystery. We love to know what's going on, right? But the idea of um entities or objects being able to just paralyze you or mess up your time or play these tricks with you this is the downside to all of this unfortunately i, mean, I, I don't go through life every day worrying about it or thinking about it i mean because it's just it happens some people you know say they want to see things or experience things and they never do and other people uh it just happens you're not looking for it it just happens right. Yeah, I think if, if people realized how many people didn't even believe in UFOs before they had their encounters, didn't even believe or think about it or whatever, and then bam, they had it. And how many people are just like, you know, I didn't ask for that. Like, they'd be surprised. The number is pretty high. Yeah. And that's kind of like what you were saying. You're driving along and, oh, there's a UFO. Yeah, I ain't got time for that. I got, I got to go to work. You right. know, it's like when when I saw that light, and I think being aware and being in the Air Force, I see something in the air. It's like, I wonder what kind of airplane that is. And uh, so, and that kind of relates to you're driving, don't have time for it. You know, I'm in the hotel room. I'm there in Panama City Beach because I'm I'm doing a uh, speaking engagement there that night, that particular day, that night. And, uh, but I'm also in my hotel room. <clears throat> um, doing push-ups on the balcony and and i you know in my mind i i've, I've set a goal for myself for that year i was going to do a hundred thousand push-ups so i was trying to do like two thousand push-ups a week and, and i'd have a two-week vacation after you know two thousand times fifty i'd hit my hundred thousand push-ups and so on that particular day i was focused on, on keeping on my schedule and doing these these push-ups and i i noticed a bright object and it was like hmm is that an airplane no it's not moving so it can't be an airplane I thought, well, that's weird maybe it's a helicopter but something just said no that is not a helicopter no, it's weird whatever it is it's weird so i started taking pictures um in between doing push-ups i do you know 50 push-ups and i take you know 10 or 15 pictures <laughs> yes thank you yeah that's one of the pictures yeah number uh uh 1052 Oh wow! Have you not have you not seen the pictures? I don't I don't I don't have I don't have that one. It's on my it's like on my wish list because I know I've I've read about you know I've heard about you, and I've kind of you know I know a little bit about your experiences, but not to this extent. And I know your book is like on my uh, 
I, it's on I my have, wish list. <laughs> I have to say, let me see. I'm trying to do this without being able to see. I don't know if you can see. Okay, so I, I have it. to say the sighting that you had has to be the most beautiful UAP that I've ever seen. It looks like it's made of a mosaic. Um, Scott, in his book, has a lot of pictures of what he saw. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to get it. It's just beautiful. Um, you know, since since those pictures came out, because that was part of the story I was going to tell you about how I came about to publishing them. But since those pictures were published, uh, I was contacted by uh, a gentleman and he um, used, he, he told me that what he was doing was using the same software tool that the FBI used to enhance evidence when they want to look at something. And he asked if he could do that to them, which I, I said, sure, that's great. So a lot of the pictures that are posted on Twitter are mm -hmm. enhanced with that software as well as the ones in the book. I'm trying to make sure that Priscilla can see exactly like it really doesn't come across through the camera this way but if those looking at uh scott's twitter page will be able to see but it is amazingly beautiful so yeah some of them like you said it looks like a mosaic it's pieced together with it's like a a painting that uh you know van gogh or a picasso or a mixture some of them are just uh, amazing uh, you know i've been accused of by some people that, you know, faking it, um, different things of, of Photoshopping and whatnot. But um, the pictures have been sent to uh, some people that have the capability to look at them and say, there's nothing, you haven't done anything to them. They're 100% real. Um, That's amazing. So I think they call it a forensic, uh, photo people i forget what they call it they yeah. had to talk they talked about it recently in the johnny depp trial actually <laughs> yeah yeah there's even basic so, levels of it that you can look at them if there's any like deviation of like there's like a color thing you can do with them that you plug in the picture to basically or upload it um but yeah that's that's cool that they're analyzing it have you heard anything yeah. back from them like i believe you but for the for the skeptics oh, yeah yep i i do hear back from them all the time this particular person um, asked, I said, do you want me to give you credit? He said, no, I'd rather remain anonymous at this time. He's got a military background oh, um, yeah. and has uh, a pilot and some intel um, in his background as well. And he works for another company now. And he asked that I leave him, <laughs> leave his name out of it at this time. So, you know, like I said, I, I would take pictures. And I do push-ups, and then I come back and say, well, it's still there. Dan, I'll take some more pictures. And I go do my push-ups, and then I come back, well, it's still there. I'll take some more pictures. And I did that for about 10 different times. And I was taking about 10 to 15 or so pictures each time. And I even I went and took a shower, and I came back, oh, it's still there. So I took more pictures. And, and at one time, while I was taking the pictures, I thought, wow, that, it's close to me now. It's, much, it's, it's quite a bit closer to me. And does it know that I'm here taking these pictures? And I just had the feeling that it was aware that I was there taking pictures. And, and I was thinking, well, I wonder if it 
minds <laughs> and uh and it just move I, back out and well so i will say uh i don't think it minded um they seem to pose um for people um and then there's other people that they say no pictures it's kind of weird it's true yeah they'll say it's just for this is just for you um which is kind of like my did you interface with them did you have any telepathy with it or did you feel it was like a sentient craft i know that's a strange question but a lot of people say they felt like the actual craft um had some sentience to it or they can sense the beings within the craft well i wouldn't say that exactly just that i i I had that feeling that it sensed that I was there and it let me know telepathically that it knew that I was there, which I understand. That was the extent of that communication that I picked up on. Maybe there was more and, and I wasn't realizing it. Um, Cause I really, it was like, I didn't even really give it much thought. They, oh, I'm taking a picture of a UFO and it's going to be really great pictures and it's going to be, you know, just blow me away later, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking that so I had, my mind was on uh, rehearsing and getting ready to go do my presentation. And uh, then I put my camera back in the bag and uh, I was traveling another week or so and week and a half, two weeks and I got home and I was able to download them. And when I enlarged them, then I really realized, well, I'm looking at something that has never been seen before i've never seen it and i don't know if anybody else has ever seen it and my my first thought was wow it kind of scared me and i thought man I, maybe i have captured something on camera that is a military secret project and i thought well i don't want to i don't want to tell anybody it's just, it would be a secret and they're they're doing something with it so i contacted a friend in the military and dod told them, hey, I have these pictures. I don't know what it is. Uh, and they said, well, send them to me and I'll send them to an analyst. You know, and this is trained military analyst, looks at pictures, satellite pictures and things. And so they did, I sent them and they sent them to whoever the analyst is. I don't know who it was. And about three weeks later, I got, I'm, I'm like, hey, what they say, what they say almost every day. They came back and they said, well, they said they don't know what it is and they're going to send it to another agency and it has a better capability for analyzing these things. So I was like, all right, great, no problem. So again, every day, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? And this goes back uh, three weeks to a month. And I, I get word and they said, yep, um, called me up and said, hey, uh, the agency that analyzed them said that your pictures are pictures of a weather balloon and your camera has an anomaly. And I thought, well, I don't really believe that. It's a new camera. I've taken good care of it. And I think that that's the same um, thing that they said 50, 60, 70 years ago about yep. and I've been safe every time. So in my mind, then I said, all right, if they're going to say it's a weather balloon, they don't want them. Because if they, you know, I, I was thinking, man, I'm, I'm in the military, it's Air Force, secret clearance, top secret clearance. If this is something from the military, 
I'm gonna yeah. turn it. I'm gonna turn it over and say, okay, there mm -hmm. you go. And I'm glad you're building them. <laughs> but right. that didn't happen. So then I, um, then I thought, okay, well, what's next? And uh, so then I, as I have videos as well, I made some videos. I put some videos online on YouTube under Dogon. Where the name Dogon tried to have Mr. Dogon was my name on YouTube. <laughs> and because uh, I didn't want anybody to know who I was at that time. And then I I thought, well, let's see, there's some I, I sent emails to different people, uh, got some feedback and from them. One of them had said, uh, make a report to MUFON. So I started making a report to MUFON and then on their page it said anything you submit to us is no longer yours and it's ours i said well i'm not going to submit my pictures to them so then I, I i deleted that uh report that i was making and went to another ufo organization and made a report and then but i did submit one picture and that was number uh, 0996 and uh then uh I didn't really hear anything back from them, but I was online and I found a, a website called Beams, British Earth and Aerial Mysteries uh, Investigations. And they had picked up that report and that picture and video that I had uploaded and put it on their site. And they identified this object they called it a cryptological creature, which I had never even thought about before. And I thought, well, I started thinking about it and then looking at the series of pictures and Deb, I know you've seen the whole series and read them in there. And, and it, it, at times it looks like something that you would find in the ocean. Looks yes, like it has yes. the eyes. And so then I started thinking, well, maybe, maybe it is a, uh, creature that you know is a uh, uh, non-human intelligence extraterrestrial biological entity that can go in the ocean or air or space and uh, hmm. looks like we got the, the circle again yeah I, I um I want to say for those who are listening who can't see the pictures right now unless they go um, to Scott's Twitter or the YouTube. Um, so the the image is again it's uh, like shiny. There's like mosaic look to it. Um, the images some of the pictures look a little bit like um, a stingray. And at other times, it sort of rotates into an orb. Um, I'm trying to describe this for people, Scott, who can't see it. Um, and S Scott, I know you've commented on sometimes it looks like there's an eye. At, you know, it looks to me like as you look at the picture, the right side of it is kind of a kind of a rounded edge. Sometimes it's pointy, but sometimes it's a rounded edge. It looks like the the leading edge of a wing, or the or a head of a, a stingray, or head of a, a bonnethead shark. And on a bonnethead, which is smaller than say a hammerhead, you have an 
a large eye on each side and that just stands out as an eye to me and you can see the wing in that picture you can see in the foreground it's it's upturned and you can see underneath that there's no color on it it's just like the bottom of a stingray where the top is colorful and the bottom has no color so if you were standing on the ground looking up you would never see it and then there were that, times as well it, it disappeared uh, i had i could only see it with my with my polarized polarized glasses so i definitely feel like um that is an issue where we have some cloaking going on you know so it, the oh, fact definitely. that yeah, and so the, the, we know that the terahertz range, maybe, um, and metamaterials may be uh, related to that. That's something that's still being explored. But um, and so I, I have been getting to that place where I'm starting to think these objects are also sentient. I don't think that they're strictly machines or technology in the way that we think of machines and technology. What right. do you think, Priscilla? Yeah, I... I I tend to agree on some of the things that I see, especially some of the traits, like the ones you're showing me. It seems almost like they're flowing in water or moving, like you said, like one of those ocean creatures that's like a thin sheet of cells and it's just glowing and doing its thing. Um, and a lot of people have described the craft itself as being sentient and the material being like skin almost. So, um, I, I think that there are some out there and who knows if they're floating around all the time, just up there, uh, not sh showing themselves uh, to people unless they have like a certain, I don't know what, it would, what it would be. When you ask me about yeah. feelings and that is certainly a feeling that yeah. I have since this sighting is that they are there always. We just don't yeah. see them. Yeah, I, and that's what I tell people, too, and I thought maybe I'm just making it up, but I had that feeling, um, like, when I look up at the sky, like, it's almost like I know they're there, um, and I don't even have to see yeah. it to know anymore, um, yeah. but yeah, I have, they're just, there's, I think there's more than people are able to see, think about our visual spectrum and what we can see, we are, like, so blind to all these other spectrums. Well, John said that in, in an interview at some point that they hide in the clouds. Um, but I don't necessarily think that they're hiding. I think that we just can't see them is more accurate. I don't think that they don't care whether or not we see them all the time. You know, I think that um, they have a sense of defending themselves, which has been pretty obvious over and over that they will defend themselves. But I don't know that it's a matter of hiding per se. So... But I will say, if you guys read Artie Six Killer Clark's book, um, where she talks about the indigenous people of America and some of their experiences, there's at least one story in her book about how a young boy gets taken up to a craft and it has skin. And when he touches it, it it's like skin. And the beings that he encounter tell him that it's not a machine per se it's a biological machine like it's and it's interesting because when you think about it aren't we biological machines isn't yeah. that's isn't that what we are hey, i've said it the craft is the et 
The mm. ET is the craft. Yep. Well, I've I've spoken to Grant Cameron about this. I feel like Pres Preston Dennett has spoken about this. The idea of consciousness is what <clears throat> controls the craft at all, and it's it's almost more like um. How do I put it? A symbiont relationship between the, the beings that go in the craft and the craft itself? Does that symbiotic? I think that's the right word. It's interesting. That makes sense. I've heard other people talk about that that have had encounters or there was a gentleman that con contacted me and was telling me all this stuff and it was so um, out there at the time I was kind of new. I didn't know who to trust. I didn't know how to vet people. But what he's telling me, I'm hearing more and more people say it, like what he told me when I first met him, like last year. Um, and he's saying all that stuff. He's saying, you know, this, this craft is operating this way and it interfaces with a consciousness. And the consciousness has to be, if it's, it has to be a being that does not want for anything like you if you go out there trying to get rich off of uh making contact they're not going to give you what you're looking for ah, i disagree with that whole philosophy on that though because i have definitely <clears throat> during meditation come out swinging and had an interaction like i don't i don't i think that it's nice for us to say we should have good intentions when we try to interact but i don't think everyone has to have good or bad intentions i think you're going to yeah. have an inter interaction possibly whether or not you want it whether or not you're a good person whether or not you're you know you you have pure intentions which is um what leads me to another thing which is the ce5 movement i think sometimes yeah. they are successfully calling the craft down because they're using consciousness right and and the response may be who's misdialing us who's calling us <laughs> like, <laughs> like a kid playing on the phone yeah <laughs> who's prank calling us to come down here right now or like when you're you hit a button on your phone and it's calling the police you're like oh crap like <laughs> right exactly no that makes Absolutely. sense yeah, so I you don't... know, there's so many different theories out there, but then again, like we look at people time and time again, you know, saying that they've had that experience, and then we see people having completely different experiences, which is right. interesting because when you read Jacques Vallée's book, Messengers of Deception, or even Diana Pasulka's book, American Cosmic, it brings up that um, it's kind of like an interface, like you're putting this stuff out and this thing's coming back. Right. Um, it, it's just. But it's kind of different. It's different for everyone. I don't even want to say kind of because there's so many similarities. Mm -hmm. But there's also like a lot of different shapes people see. There's a lot of different beings people interact with, a lot of different mm -hmm. feelings or experiences when um, they are having these abduction type scenarios happen, whether it be in dream time or in waking life, you know. So it's it's strange. We don't really know. Like what, when they do interact, it's almost like there's not really like a, a steady motive. Yeah. Like well, we I only interact with these people because of this. Yeah. I think it boils down to Jack Filet saying it's a game to them. It's like they're, they're like guiding us towards something. And a, and a lot of people are saying it's higher density, higher frequency, higher vibration, evolving as a species, becoming better neighbors in the, you know, in the universe, that's what I'm hearing a lot. That's why it's happening. But it seems to be 
trickster. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I would say, what are your thoughts on it? It's, uh, intentions, I guess. It's a lot to digest. It's a lot to take in. I think you're talking about the shapes of the crafts and knowing what it is. And so I have over 100 pictures. I think uh, 50 of them I put in the book and videos that I have. And as you look at that sequence of pictures, some of them look like a stingray or a manta ray or a butterfly. And, and like the one, the, the last one I put in there, 1083, it looks like a craft with a figure in there. You look at the old ancient aliens uh, pictures where they have ancient astronauts and all those suits and everything. It's kind of like, what is that round red object inside there? It's, it's. Yeah, you know, I it's, see it. It's, <laughs> Are you familiar uh, with, uh, is it Dor Dorothy? Oh my gosh. Is it Isaac? Dorothy Isaac? Yes. Um, she had some interesting pictures as well. Are are you familiar with her, Scott? Her work? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay, so those sadly, pictures do look better online. They do look better online than they do oh, in the I'm, book because oh, you have sure. the light is coming through them. So, you know, what's funny is back then I was so excited when when I I started hearing about this new organization coming out uh, that was going to solve everything TTSA. You know, and they're going to give us all the answers to everything we were seeing and so i contacted them through their email on on their website and and wanted to send them the pictures and uh then i got an email back and said no we'll go to this website and it's uh you know it's like buying stock or something in there and so then we went back and forth and finally i said hey i have some pictures do you want them or not and the answer came back, no, we're not ready to accept pictures. Uh, maybe someday we will. But uh, so then that's when I went over to the other one. And then I went to MUFON. And uh, um, I made a, a report. To, right. What's Say that you, again. You said you gave them the one picture. Oh, yeah. Well, MUFON, I gave the one picture to. But then they called me. Um, not they, the uh, field investigator uh, called me after that report, and that is a uh, retired Air Force Captain, uh, Sabrina Robb. And she contacted me, and she did the report, and that was mm, probably about September, October of um, 19, uh, 2019. And we talked, and you know, she totally believed, and I'd me and I'd sent her a couple other pictures that I didn't submit to move on, but uh, we developed a a friendship, and and so I had sent her the other pictures, and uh, then I I continue we continued to talk, uh, not you know her report had been submitted and things she had said in it, and then uh, I linked up with her in December and went through all the pictures in a PowerPoint presentation and, mm -hmm. and let her take them, let her take the pictures. And she was just so enamored with them that she uh, reopened the case file and made some more comments about, you know, this was legitimate UFO. It's, I don't know, they're all their classifications as field investigators. Right. But you're, you're so 
that leads me to a question. So like to help people understand why you made this book, can you explain? Because it's, to me, it sounds like you made the book so people understand what you saw to help you understand what you saw, to let the world know what you saw. Um, this isn't the kind of book that someone's making because they want to make money. This is the book to let people know what happened. Um, so can you please speak to that? Because I think that people um, sometimes get put into two camps. Either they're trying to get attention or they're trying to get money or they're really legitimately trying to get help. And I think you're in the help camp and I wanted you to speak to that. No, exactly. You're exactly right. I mean, I wanted to know what it was I saw. It's kind of been a... Uh, um, it's the word it's just kind of grabbed me and not let go it's like it's I think about it almost every day what you know and wonder what it is and look in the sky because you know I'm just waiting for the next mm -hmm. one the next event and uh, mm -hmm. so just uh, hey like I said I tried to give it to DOD they didn't want it TTSA they didn't want it mm -hmm. uh, MUFON made the report became friends with Sabrina and then I I self-published, you know, the, the book. It wasn't like I had any professional help. You can see some of the editing and whatnot in there. But I said, well, I'm going to get this out because this was up there. I saw it. I don't know what it is. And then I, you know, after that is when I, um, I'd had a Twitter account that I started years ago, but I wasn't using it. And then I realized, well, hey, there's a UFO community in Twitter. And then that's when I started posting pictures and saying hey what is this thing and what breaks my heart is how many people have done that come forward to try to get help from a community they would expect it from and haven't gotten it so that's one of those things i try to fight against i try to point out as you know we've recently had someone else in our community getting attacked by someone publicly like the community should be supporting other people coming forward um I, I won't say who, but I recently had a very difficult interview with someone where some of the things they were saying, I was like, oh, this is, this is going far for me. But I was like, I also want them to have a place to come to talk. And that's what this community should allow. Like, we have so many people who need to get to talk. <laughs> they need to be able to talk. It's, un, you know, so it's infuriating when, when we don't have that support. I just had to get on my soapbox about that for a minute. Well, maybe someday we'll get it. You're doing good work. Well, I really hope so. It. I hope so. Like that's what Priscilla. That's is why like, we're here. Yeah, Priscilla is amazing about that. Also, so like that's kind of you it's know, not our job to judge. It's our job. Like like I'm a you know I, I'm I don't want to be like I'm a priestess. I'm a priestess. I'm here to hold space for people. So it's I thought I was going to be some fancy witch priestess, but here I am holding space for experiencers and contactees and and people that have seen things that they can't explain. And I feel very at home here and I might not be as big as the other channels. I might not be part of the cool kids, but I am part of something and it's and I'm here for the people, you Who know, like you're not I, cool. Who said you're not cool? <laughs> I just assume I'm not cool because I'm a UFO kid. But, you know, um. Yeah. You know, like I'm here for the people and I'm here for the people yes, making sir. moves. You know what I mean? If somebody's starting a movement, I'm I'm there for, to share that for them. Or somebody's making a documentary about this. I want to help them share it. If somebody has a show like this, I want to help them share it. You know, um, I'm not doing this. I didn't even know why I'm doing this. I just like being with people that have had these experiences. And I like, I like being a space for them. Right. It's also worth um, commenting that... 
you know, we have enough naysayers out in the world. We have enough debunkers out in the world. If they, uh, if people want to be debunkers, don't go to UFO Twitter. Okay. We, we have enough of that. The rest of the world, we still have to work on convincing. Leave us alone. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's all I got to say. It's uh, yes. Skepticism is normal and uh, appreciated because it helps us to think more about things. It helps us develop thoughts disagreeing can help us with that but i don't understand someone actively 24 hours well, it's debunking i don't understand people it's how though it's the approach right it's right. like i could you could say the same we could all say the same sentence and depending on what how we say it it's going to come out differently some people do not have grace they don't know how to right. have like if they were doctors or nurses holy crap they'd have horrible bedside manner um just as a human People deserve more than your attitude. They deserve more than you putting them down because you don't believe them. Maybe they're not trying to convince you. Maybe right. they're not trying to convince anybody. Maybe they're just putting it out there because they've been keeping it inside for so long and they just want to talk about it. Right. And let's be honest. If, if you really talk to people, it's amazing how many have had strange experiences. In fact, if I really push with people or, or just really bring up the subject, it's not really pushing. Almost everyone has had some kind of strange experience, either, you know, a mm -hmm. really strong sense of deja vu, a psychic dream, weird synchronicities. <laughs> you know, those are just the minor. Burdens. Grandpa visiting when he's been dead. For years, you know? Right. I mean, I've, I've <laughs> been don't... hearing like because I'm interested. I've been hearing about these from people for years. Oh, absolutely. So, and and I'll tell you, I've had some that I haven't even talked about with people. So yeah, I'll tell you one now. Okay. When my <laughs> husband died, which is sad, I know, but he died the same day he died, his light turned on in my bedroom and it was not a touch lamp. It wasn't a switch. It was one of those lights where you had to spin the knob to turn it on. And it was this, like, I he, it turned on on its own. Letting you know. Yeah, same day. That's interesting. Wow. You can't just say like, like when stuff like that happens, you, it's something. Like it, it means something. Right. Uh, so, but how how do you you know? More people aren't going to come forward with amazing experiences like that if we don't start being more understanding of one another and accepting like, yes, people tell, I'm sure we've all heard some off the wall, you know, people will be like, Oh, that's which woo or that's crazy town, whatever. But it's nobody is here to be judge and jury of one another. There's but, healthy skepticism. We should always question, but it's your delivery. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you questioning because you want the truth mm -hmm. or are you questioning because you're trying to tear somebody down? Right. And, I, you know, honestly, if, if they had never done the stigma campaign that they did for the most ridiculous of reasons back in the beginning, I don't think we'd be in the same place. We'd be much further along. Right. So, Scott, I wanted to um, address another thing that keeps coming to mind to ask since you were part of the military. And obviously, I we have an affinity, Priscilla and I both do, to people who were in the military for various reasons family related for the most part 
Um, have you had other people come talk to you about their experiences that haven't been willing to share them publicly? And obviously, I don't want you to name names. I'm just curious. Yes. There, um, last year, I was at a, a military event, a reunion, and probably a dozen different guys that I know talked to me about their own experiences that they've had and i i'd never heard them say that before um but they, and they said you know it's just not something they talk about but they they had seen what i had put out in the book and um online and they just thought it was great and it was weird and it was just more more stuff that's unknown but they be believe we're not alone there's something out there it seems to be the pre prevailing theme. We're not alone. Something's out there. That seems to be going on quite a bit. We have a lot more people coming forward to talk about it. Scott, um, before we wrapped up, because we're a little bit past the amount of time I was expecting, is there anything else you want to just let people know about? Um, I know that you this the encounter that you have pictures of is not your last. Um, is there anything else you just want to share with people? make good choices you never know how the choice you make today is going to impact your tomorrow whether it's the next day the next week the next month or 20 years just make good choices well thank you so that. much you're welcome yeah. thanks for having me on Great. So before we, yes, before we wrap up, Priscilla, why don't you tell people where they can find you? And then we'll, I'll ask Scott the same question. Okay. Um, the best or easiest way is probably on Twitter or Instagram. And that is at the at quantum underscore, which, and which is spelled W Y T C H. And if you DM me there, um, you'll, Y'all, I will get back to you. And if you want, you know, have an experience to share, I hold, I'm trying to hold a once a month experience or um, segment on my show with Stephanie from, or sorry, Steph from UIP Experiencers. So yes, please, even if you don't want to share it and you need somebody to talk to, please find me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm excited because I'm talking to Steph on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's amazing <laughs> right and sky i would encourage you if you can get um on priscilla's show with some other experiencers i know that um you said you've spoken to some people i think that's huge for people to feel that commonality to have some of that uh shared experience with people um yeah, i know priscilla, priscilla I was gonna say, I, i've, I've yeah. talked to more about it being involved with uh twitter than I have previously because you just oh you're crazy you can't you know that's uh, <laughs> by the way just so you guys know crazy is not a mental health term it's a social term it has and by the way the word insane also not a mental health term that's from that's a legal term so <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there sorry um. Priscilla and I actually, we share some common things, which I don't uh, share with that many people. And James and I share some common things, which is really cool. Um, so I think it's very special when you can find other people who can say, you know, I had that happen to me too. 
So yeah, I definitely encourage you to keep doing that. And as we are saying goodbye for now, until you come back to talk with Lori, who is also at Bent Waters, I'm going to try to get you to do that. Can you please let people know where they can find you, including on YouTube and Twitter and your, your page? Well, every, everything is, is out there under Scott Guerin. I had, you know, I have Instagram and Twitter and, and all of that. I, um, and I have a, a website, you know, that I do public speaking, uh, scottgarin.com. And it pretty much outlines a lot of the military career pictures from, you know, my military service and uh, the discovery clip is on there. If you want to uh, see what jumping out of airplanes can be like, <laughs> but, um, um, I noticed you were in some magazines <laughs> that's on there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so um, thank you again to both of you for coming and sharing today. I very much appreciate you coming on the show. And hopefully I'll get to talk to you both again soon. All right. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Take care. This was Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. If anyone needs to reach me, I'm at Study of UAPs. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, which, uh, by the way, Kevin keeps telling me I'm not on enough, and a whole bunch of other places. See everyone later. Bye.